0: Before we start this show, just a word from our sponsor. 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams, along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest that pro wrestling has had to offer. Along with their awesome line of pro wrestling apparel, they do offer many services. In the world of wrestling, there are hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads. Don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20x20 20 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. If you would like to discuss possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or whatever drop them a line go to 20 by 20 apparel that's the number 20 x the number 20 apparel.com now let's get to the show i'm jim duggan got
1: long wood for plenty hoes i keep it shit and fresh but you already know
0: you suckers bummy i'm money i got a ton of flows my weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll your shit quiet like you ballin' balling on a budget though we see your kicks and we laugh and yelling what of those. you see me shining like a suit on puffy you know my grind and shit is too strong buddy that's why the dude call money i be stuntin' like it's nothing at all cause it's nothing to me
1: You can't cop them all And I'm fresher than the freshest You can tell it's in my essence, Bitch, you see the way I'm rappin'? Yes, I do this shit to death But tell I'm running out of breath Or tell somebody cut a check But either way, you know it's fresh But either way, you know it's fresh
0: Fresh We fresh Welcome to the Fresh of the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. And on Fresh of the Word, we like to deliver wisdom through great stories from the minds of bright creatives of pop culture. Through those stories, we like to dissect the journey of our guests and present actionable lessons and advice for our listeners, no matter what career or avenue of artistry they pursue. And before we get into this episode, I want to give a shout out to Knox Money, Bang Belushi, and Foul Mouth for the theme music for Fresh of the Word. And if you would like to support the podcast, you can always go to Fresh of the Podcast.com and just share any of the links for any of the episodes on any of your social media platforms. And also, you can subscribe to Fresh of the Word pretty much anywhere that podcasts are streamed. And that includes Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, pretty much everywhere. And please, rate and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. It will definitely help out the show. If you want to contact me, you can always reach me by email at djkfresh at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at K fresh is the word, and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KFresh. And you can also follow Fresh is the Word on Twitter at Fresh is the Word, and that's is with a IZ, Instagram at Fresh of the Word Podcast, and Facebook at Facebook.com slash Fresh the Podcast. And this is episode 157, and the guest for this episode is Detroit hip hop artist Chris Oreck, who just released his newest album, Out to Sea, via Mellow Music Group. Ork already has a vast discography of music that touches on his own personal experiences and his views on the world going on these days. During our conversation, we talked about the new album, his creative freedom, making music while not expecting stardom, and much more. Before we get into this interview with Chris Ork, I definitely want to remind you how you can support the podcast, and you can support the podcast via Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash fresh of the word and there's all sorts of tiers starting at one dollar per month and you can help me out. Help out fresh of the word. And I just dropped a new Patreon only exclusive podcast episode with an interview with Jay Dilla's mom, Maureen Madukes Yancey, that I recorded from her, you know, from their home in May of 2009, uh, it's the first part of the two hour epi- or two hour interview that we did. Uh, the next episode number five will be the second parts. So I had to break it up because it was really long. So go over to uh, patreon.com/ slash is the word to sign up. and there's all sorts of different tiers that you can be a part of and actually be a part of the show. So please do that. Please spread the word on Fresh of the Word as the main podcast, the Patreon. We've got so many goodies lined up. I have so many interviews in the can right now. So much good stuff coming up. So please, you know, spread the word, share links, tell your people. That would be great. Thank you, and uh, let's get on to this interview with Chris Ork. You've already, in my opinion, had have had a great discography of music in your music career. Um, When you were, uh, yeah, no problem. Going into Out to Sea, what were you sort of trying to accomplish? You know, how does this album sort of differ or continue on from what you've been doing in the past?
1: um, I think that when I was, you know, honestly, this is one of the first records that that I've really done that I didn't really have like a pre conceived idea where i wanted to go with things um i really just kind of started collecting beats from like you know i I do have people like nolan nolan the ninjas on there that produced um you know some some people that i have worked with in the past but i kind of wanted to work with some different people so i put out like feelers on facebook and on twitter asking for people to submit beats and i ended up finding a few like really dope people from uh, a couple guys from overseas uh uk actually um uh sim productions and uh suki beats and that kind of started it for me like that's where it really got things going with like just the ball rolling and the beats just kind of had a different vibe to me they had a more upbeat kind of bright vibe which i'm usually not known for um there <laughs> are people that are going to listen to my uh my discography it's usually pretty dark but um i mean it's still like for me still that but i think i wanted to just sort of uh, the headspace i was in i've been kind of like isolated and just the internet has been driving me crazy and kind of writing from that perspective of like feeling like I'm out on an Island. And I feel like a lot of us feel like that where the internet, whether it's politics or whatever, kind of puts us in this like binary position of like, choose one side and then not knowing how to like find your place and feeling like i just don't know if i relate to a lot of the shit i see online anymore um (laughs) so conceptually that's where it came from sonically it was sort of that but i think it's you know it's it's not as deep you know as i just made it it's you know on its nine tracks about you know my me being introspective as usual so
0: from you know from your last album you know how do you feel like you know you've grown, you know, what's different from when you were uh, writing the last album?
1: Um, I think in a sense I like again, just kind of going back to it, you know, I think I let someone listen to the record the other day and then they said it was like kind of a breezy record. Like I think for me I'm just getting so much more comfortable. I don't know if it's getting older or whatever. Um with just writing what I wanna write, not worrying so much about like what people might think of it. Um you know, it's kind of hard to like to separate yourself as you're working at writing stuff to not, at least for me, not be in this mode of like, you know, almost having like the listener or potential audience like looking over my shoulder while I'm writing what they would think of it, whatever. And I just writing more for me again. I guess I hadn't done that. Uh, you know, I'd felt like after my record, Instinctive Drowning, um, that I put out it with uh, Ill Poetic a few years back, it like didn't do as well as I thought. And. That kind of got me really in a rut of like, oh, I don't, you know, being nervous about how to make music. So then I put out my record Portraits, which which was the last one, um, trying to break out of that cycle. And I think, again, with this one, like, you know, I usually go into writing a record and think I need to make it this, you know, a certain length. It needs to hit 40 minutes. It needs to be 12, at least 12 tracks or, you know, at least 10 or whatever. Um, And when I got started writing and when I felt like I was done, I just stopped. (laughs) I didn't try to push you know, eat more things out of it. I just was like, I feel good about this and I'm ready. It's kind of a short record. Um but it felt like it I got out what I needed to say.
0: You know, how did it feel to sort of break out of those sort of self imposed, you know, boundaries or, you know you know, lengths and whatnot and sort of had some freedom just to like start when you want to start and end when you want to end?
1: Um very I mean, very good, and it's. I think it's going to be something that I'm going to be able to take, you know, further, and I'm excited to see where, you know, future projects go. Because to me, this is a more of a transitional record for that, where this is the one that I think. And again, I don't think that I like. I've, truthfully, I don't think I've changed too much of what I of who I am or anything. I think it's a you know from people that have come to expect, you know, that are fans of mine. What you've come to expect from me, I think you'll pretty much get it on this record, but to me it just felt more like just not worrying so much man and and it's very good to to have that moment of like i can just i can just end a you know i don't have to make this record at that you know it's 30 minutes or something in like it's only nine songs and just being like it's done that's a really cool thing to do for uh, you know the future things to not have that kind of pressure and again that might be just getting older too where it's just like you know you, you realize that you're making music, you have a you know decent fan base, and <laughs> like the the idea of superstardom is probably gone, you know, for most likely, you know, most likely scenario. Um, so, and, and, you know, I never really thought that that would happen anyways, but it's really kind of getting to that point now where you're just like, I just do this. It's a thing that I do and I love and I care about it and I'm, you know, super fortunate to be able to keep doing it um, and getting paid for it.
0: Was... You know, was there any moment or anything that happened that sort of put you in that place where you maybe just stopped worrying so much? Do you remember the time when that sort of energy started to shift?
1: Yeah, I think that, like, I, you know, I had, um, like I said, my my record instinct of drowning didn't do very well. I had a couple of tours that I had lined up, you know, for the following year, um, that ended up falling through and i just got really 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 depressed man i didn't make music for a while um probably one of the longest you know since i was a teenager probably one of the longest breaks that i'd had of not writing uh for a while and then i made portraits um which was more and part of what portraits taught me that you know the previous record was kind of again not really going into it with a big focused idea and just kind of making songs just doing I like this beat. I'm going to write a song to it and not like worried about how it's going to fit or, you know, where it's going to make sense. And then, um, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't like a one moment thing. It was this kind of slow process of getting portraits out. I also changed my name from red pill to Chris Oric at that time. Uh, so that was scary and it ended up being pretty much okay uh, for the most part. Uh, you know, we were really worried about sales and stuff and we've been building the red pill brand for years. And, uh, to have that go smoothly and then just kind of come out of there and be like, Oh yeah, I can do this. I know I'm comfortable with this. I've been doing it for a long time. Um, just not being worried, I guess so much about it.
0: I'm doing the name change and, and then having it, you know, run smoothly. Did that, uh, you know, put anything in your mind that, Hey, I can be a little bit more adventurous with, you know, stuff that I'm doing.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, because one of the other things too that happened, you know, keep I keep like going back to it, but it is kind of where this is all coming from, was the you know with instinctive drowning, it was a really, uh, you know, sonically a radical shift from anything that I had done previously with like, you know, even my work way back with like Hero and then with uh, Ugly Heroes and Look What This World Did to Us, my solo first solo with a uh, mellow, um, putting out Instinctive Drowning, which is just such a different style than what I had done before. Um, and having that kind of, uh, you know, commercially not be as successful as I wanted it to be, or as that, as I thought it would be, it made me scared initially to be like, you know, maybe I should just stick to what I'm doing. What I, you know, what if people knew me for. Um, and I kind of transitioned back into that in a way that sounds like I'm, I'm, you know, it's like, I'm going back to, you know, kind of the opposite of what I'm saying where that was sort of freeing, but it kind of was to just be like, You like this, people, you know, this is the kind of music I like writing, like more like the portraits and uh, this new album out to see. Um, I I think I find my voice a little bit better over the the style of production. Um, There's nothing wrong with that. I don't have to be like some groundbreaking artist that I thought that I could try to do, or you know what I mean? Like thinking that I can do something, you know, reinvent the wheel type shit. It's just not, it's not important to me. Um, And it's not really I like pushing myself, but I like pushing myself through my writing, not necessarily the the sonic
0: qualities of it. With um, you know, with this time, you know, going through um, sort of like freeing up your um, creativity, you know, is how do you how do you put your already established, you know, fan base into that process? You know, how do you balance what you wanna do with you know with what you you feel like your audience might like or do you even you know care at this point what your audience might like
1: um I mean I think this is kinda of like a, the the non typical response of of a you know artist or musician, or whatever, but I do honestly care what fans think. I mean and I don't mean it in in a sense that like um you know I, I don't like I don't need their approval but I like I appreciate the fact that people give a shit about what I do. I'm I'm super lucky to have that. Um, And anyone that you know, no matter how big you are, every you know, if you if you have fans, I mean, I'm a pretty small artist. But if you have even a small core fan base of people that really fuck with you, it's you know, it's not that you don't want to disappoint them. It's not you know, there's something where I know people. There's always that thing where they want their favorite album of of an artist, and I've done it too, where you want them to recreate that, and it's just it's an impossible thing to do. Right. Um, so, in a sense, I worry, but I, it's not like a it's not like a pressure anymore. I guess. like I, I, I think I had that pressure right after instinctive drowning, and now it's just like, I hope that they like it, <laughs> but I'm not gonna like freak myself out about it or worry about it anymore.
0: how do you um how do you concentrate on the fan base that does support and appreciate your work in comparison to trying to overreach into, uh, avenues that might not be, you know, possible, you know, you talked about, you know, superstardom might, you know, might never mm-hmm. have been something that you could grab on, but you do have these people that really do support you, you know, how do you concentrate on that?
1: I mean, for me, what I try my best to do and what I've always tried, you know, I don't, I look at I'm not, it's easier for somebody on a smaller level to do it. But I always do my best to interact with people online. Um, I think that that's important. I'm somebody that when I tour, when I have toured in the past, I always take my time to you know talk to people and introduce myself, ask their name, try to get a feel for what they're doing. I really like focusing on you know giving back to people um, and being somewhat accessible. I think that some artists find more success by being um, more inaccessible. But for me, it's I like interacting with people because I think it. You know, I come from, you know, a humble background. I, I, I write about it being humble, and you know, I try to be that person. So I try to give back when I can. Um, you know, try to respond to messages, to DMs, to Facebook messages, to tweets, all that kind of shit. And then, you know, hopefully, and, it, and it's funny over the years, like that circle has, or those those core group of fans, it, it, as it builds, like some of them you don't talk to or don't see online for a year, and then they come back or and then there's new ones popping up that, you know, that you try to interact with. So it's really for me just trying to make it not like a, I don't need some like, you know, curtain of mystery behind who I am because the the music is who I am.
0: Yeah, that really doesn't fit you because you're like, you're like a, a, you know, everyday working man kind of guy. So yeah. trying to, you know, cloud it with mystery would just be weird
1: <laughs> right yeah. it doesn't fit it's not me I, you know I mean I, it's I'm not like it's not even like shit on other people but it's just not me I'm not that kind of person I want to if you see me at a show you know we can have a beer and we can shake hands as long as you're not like too weird <laughs> you know, the, the super drunk fan that is in your face like pull on your shoulder and shit but other than that I'm if you're cool we can be pretty easy to pretty easy going dude
0: so. <laughs> you know how did you how did you start to deal with, you know, early on in your career, you know, realizing that you have fans? You know, how did you deal with that?
1: It's a weird thing, man. I mean, it is very, it's strange. And I don't think that, like, for me, I think the first time that I recognized it, and, you know, this was being kind of a, you know, uh, was working with Apollo Brown and the Ugly Heroes uh, stuff when we went on tour in Europe. And, like, you know, we get to, we did one show and then we get the next show was in Paris and the, the show runner comes to pick us up and, you know, ask him how ticket sales are doing. And he, you know, it's not a huge venue. It's like 500 cap venue or something, but he says it's sold out. And I was like, Holy shit. I, we're like playing a sold out show in Paris. That's un, like unbelievable to me. You know what I mean? And then to have that, that people like knowing your work, you know, people from Paris, I mean, French, this speak French, you know, rapping every word and shit. And it was weird, really weird thing and really humbling thing and cool thing. And, and honestly, kind of, there's like this I'm, I'm a fairly intro, introverted person but you know like if you don't know me but I'm pretty extroverted if you get around me and especially if I've had a few you know we've had a few drinks or something whatever however you end up doing it or hanging out at a party I can be pretty loud and you know outgoing um <laughs> so to have to have people walking up to me at shows that I don't really know it's sort of a you know I've been told like like, a, like I'm almost like too humble like in a negative way like you can almost like it's like I'm trying to hide you know but I really am Like kind of it's awkward to have people come up to you and tell them tell you that you know certain thing, you know very positive things about you I don't know don't take compliments well I guess I don't know how to deal with it well because <laughs> I get all embarrassed and shit so join um, the club <laughs> but
0: it's,
1: yeah exactly right it's it's awkward and I know you're like that <laughs> you're I think we're kind of similar in that sense so
0: yeah that's something I finally am like starting to get out of you know being a little like bit mother
1: more... hey fresh man you've been doing this shit for a long time you've been in it you know what i mean like shit like that is like and that's how And that to, to just accept like people respect you and what you do and what you've done you know and that's, that's dope as hell
0: yeah but it just like for a long time i just didn't really believe it <laughs> Right. yeah that is a funny thing man like trying to figure out like how to how to
1: accept that you are like you know, I think a lot of people go through that, whether they're artists or not. You know what I mean? Like even just regular you know, everyday people finding their self-worth and realizing how the good parts of themselves that should be celebrated. Um, it's hard to do.
0: Right. You're like, why? Why are you? Uh, why should I celebrate this thing that I did? It's no big deal. Whatever. Right. <laughs> it's it's really no big deal. <laughs> then <Right. we're, laughs> but then after a while you start to realize the reason why certain things get celebrated about you is because of your character when it comes down yeah. to it. And the, yeah. and that oh these people kinda of like what you're doing because you're also like a good person, also. And right. You've formulated these friendships, and you're—it's not like you're doing everything with a ulterior motive, you know. It's exactly. that's you know when you when you realize that oh yeah it's because you're kind of a good dude and you're um you're doing something to support this culture or art form or whatever. That's when yeah. you're like, you know what? I guess I can uh, accept. These, uh, you know, these positive things that people are saying. Yeah, man. And, that, and
1: that's, just you know, I, I 100% relate completely that, with that. That, you know, I think especially when people get to know me, I know that I have a very kind of like, obviously through the music and, and online, you know, I, the my personality that gets shown online is kind of cranky, dude. But I think, <laughs> when, you know, when people get to talk to me, it's it's not, I, I express it through the music like that. And I can be a little outrageous online at points I hopefully calm that down a a lot but it's um yeah man I, it's I think people get to realize like I'm a you know I, I just like to make music man I'm just a like, guy who likes to make music I have my you know I have opinions and like to put put them online and in person whatever but um for the most part yeah like you said it's about just being a good positive person and you know as much as that I, that's not how you would describe me through my music it is more who I am in real life and uh um I think people root want to root for you know. Like in your case, like just good good people. When you're good people, it's it's easier to root for that.
0: Over the you know over the years, you've been able to you know release a lot of projects on a fairly regular basis. You know that's you know something a lot of people would love to be in the position to be in. You know how yeah. does it feel to? you know, be in that position, how do you feel like you've been able to maintain that to where a Mellow Music Group will continue to help put out your music?
1: Um, I think that one is fostering the relationship with
0: uh,
1: Mike at Mellow, who, you know, runs a company. Um, Because to be honest, I mean, I have, you know, there's even a line on the upcoming record um, about still getting supported, you know, uh, through the music and, or, you know, getting the opportunity, even though the, the album sales may not, you know, um, always, (laughs) um, merit that, but it's because for me, number one, Mike at Mello has always been, he's an art guy first. I mean, there are many people that, you know, I won't, I can't say anything, but there are people that haven't survived, you know, including myself, the, the, you know, the money that's been put into the music has not been made back for sure. Um, in some cases and but Mike believes in the art. I mean, you know, there's there are it's like one of those things where the bigger names on the label are able to kind of, you know, sustain the smaller ones on the label. It's uh even though the label mates aren't super close, I wouldn't say that about Mellow for the most part. Um Mike makes it a a case to make it that way, make it more of a family where the the, the smaller fish are supported by the big fish, you know. Um rather than having just the you know maybe the handful of people that are making all of the money and they do make the money but you know Mike is not taking home this lavish amount of money to do it, it it's a really a self-sustaining thing um it's a really kind of cool little social experiment um you know where <laughs> it really is kind of socialized in a way that you know it's coming from the top and helping to feed the bottom um and it's really cool and it's all about because it's his main ethos. I mean, of course, it's it's an industry. You want to make money. Everyone wants to make as much as they can. Well, how, how we can. But it's literally art first for, for the dude. I mean, that's not saying that to, like, you know, kiss his ass or anything. It's getting to know him over the last, you know, five years or whatever it's been um, has really shown me that. And I think that part of it, too, might like go back to, you know, Mike knows, uh, you know, it's like that good guy thing. It's supporting a guy that you care about and you know I consider us friends as well as, you know, business partners. So um it's been cool. And again, I'm super fucking lucky to even have the
0: opportunity. So for, you know, somebody like like yourself, you know, if you had any advice for anybody who who is doing, you know, similar music as you are or just in a similar position that you've been in the past, you know, what uh, advice would you give to them to at least, you know, get that foot in the door to where maybe they can be in a similar position that you would be in to where you can, where they can, uh, you know, e- you know, put out music on a regular basis in in a very professional and proper manner. Um,
1: well, I think that starts off by one being professional and proper.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's how
1: you, uh, you know, I mean, for me, like, especially when I was young, um, never being late to shows, never being late to, you know, recording. Um, I mean, shit happens, of course, but, you know, for the most part, trying to treat it like, you know, like you care about it, like you give a shit. I mean, for younger artists or anybody, really, a huge thing to me has always been like, and there are certainly, you know, exceptions to the rule, but, right. you know, I, I was always there for sound check a lot of, you know, I've, I remember being um, running shows or working with shows where, Artists that, you know, I mean, just frankly, weren't that talented were showing up late to just either skipping sound check or, you know, shit like that. It's just the details. Everything is in the details of, like, being on point with your shit. Make sure that you're turning things in on time. If, you know, if you're working, you know, working with a label or whatever, make sure that you're doing what they're asking of you, at least within a reason. Um, being respectful and then especially, you know, as a younger person or whatever, if you're out there, just you got to grind, man. I mean, it was... You know, it burned me out after a while, too, but, you know, playing shows, you, you have to find that balance of, like, overdoing it and overexposing yourself, but making sure that you're pretty consistently playing shows. When I was younger around Michigan, I was in Grand Rapids, Ann Arbor, Flint, Detroit, Lansing. You know, I was bouncing all around playing shows, Kalamazoo and whatever, um, and it, it was a grind, and it's like I was going to school full-time, working almost 40 hours a week and playing shows and shit when I could, Um so trying to get your name out there, and then, you know, unfortunately, the last thing that I would say is you got to get lucky. But it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, you get lucky by, by being out there, by sort of creating the opportunity to get lucky. Because the way that I got on through with Apollo Brown really was just chance, man. It was, um, you know, I had spoken to him a couple of times before, without much interest. You know, um, we were cool, but he well, but I don't think I was on his. If i was on his radar i was a very very light blip up in the corner i wasn't really he wasn't checking for me <laughs> but a friend a friend of mine sent him a music video i did a real random music video that i shot with uh brand damon of uh you know aux cinema now and um we had just after a show out in grand rapids he was living out there we shot this like kind of gorilla video at the and after a show on the streets and uh somebody passed it to apollo and that's how he was like oh shit you know, I mean, he had he had a copy of my first record, Please Keep Your Driver, um, sitting on his shelf when I went to meet him the first time. But it was unopened; he had never listened to it or anything, <laughs> so he kept it for whatever reason. But it was just sitting there. It's still in the uh, still in the cellophane rap. Like, got really fucking lucky. But but if I hadn't been out playing shows, if I hadn't been out meeting him a couple times for me to at least be familiar with me, if we weren't shooting videos and shit, um, never would have happened. So. As much as it's luck, you gotta just get yourself out there as much as you can. I mean, it sucks, and but footwork is real. I know online is something that a lot of people use, and it's a huge tool. But face-to-face shit is still important.
0: I've been, you know, talking recently a lot about with music artists or whatever, um, comic book artists um, and creators um, um, a lot about the idea of. You know, collaboration over competition. You know, what does and, that mean to you?
1: Um, I think that when you're younger, you it, it it's more, especially in you know the hip, you know rap scene, hip hop scene in Detroit, Michigan, in general. Um, man, it can feel like such a, a competition when it just doesn't fucking need to be. Like you know, we were in Lansing, especially when I was really getting you know, cutting my teeth, was working with the Black Pack. That was back when, you know, James Garden. Um, for people that aren't familiar with, you know, was filthy when Joshua Smith was Jay Young, when, you know, the local artists that, you know, friends of mine and people that still make music to this day, um, got together and we, you know, it was something where we all kind of had a similar vision, a similar goal. I mean, it's not in the same breath, but you know, it was similar to the early days for, you know, Michigan A-pop heads of like athletic Mike league of getting together and realizing all, you know, all of you have certain things that you can offer, um, you know, one of the, when we were in Black Pack, one of the best parts of having a, a crew that we had was we had a graphic designer, uh, Sean Mack, Smack. You know, we had um, Will Ketchum and Marcel Williams who had industry connections. Like, it was people that were just kind of, and it, you, you, you get lucky, again, by being able to be fortunate to be in the right place at the right time to meet those people. But, yeah, it, it's, you know, I do remember times, and, you know, without saying names of people around the scene that I just felt like, either for my own ego or their own ego, we didn't, um, connect. And it kind of ruined some, not ruined, but, but I think that had we built a, a little better, some people in the scene it would have been, could have been much bigger uh, at the time. Um, you just lose out a lot on it and it's very easy to fall into that crabs in a barrel mentality. I do. I've done it sometimes. I occasionally to this day, I'll be online and you know, I'll catch myself like, like, you know, why am I not getting this? And it's ridiculous. Like the, it, people are out there just trying to move and make music and and make a career out of something that's very very difficult to make a career out of um there's no point in having that mentality at all it's can eat at you it sucks it's uh you know it's it's certainly something that I wish that I had learned a little sooner um no matter how much you're told though I feel like as a young person you know it's it's a competition and it doesn't need to be ever in any case so
0: when, you know, when going into the, the, this new album, you know, what were, what were some of the topics that you really wanted to talk about?
1: I think that um, the topics that I ended up talking about were, well, first of all, just kind of like the, you know, the, the mental, like I said, isolation of kind of seeing the internet and, and just like there's a song on there called America Online, um, which was really like spawned from, the you know 2016 election and, and stuff, shit like that where I was just as much a part of that of that problem of being you know too too angry too ready to fucking you know unleash on anyone that had a differing opinion from mine and you know and to this day it's still something where I think you have to draw a line in the sand like 100 percent this isn't like some I'm, I'm not saying it in some like both sidesism kind of shit like there are things that I do think that are just right and wrong black and white but for me just it, I think the one thing that that to me is crazy, and i I'm just as guilty of it too, is the way that we interact online is just not how we interact in real life in any way right. like nobody nobody talks to anybody the way that they talk to people online I wouldn't there were times where I got in arguments with people I said shit I would have never said to a person in, in, in their face because you respect people too much, and you know there are consequences if you say some you know some wild shit to somebody um so I think the guy you know I wanted to kind of talk about that just to sort of you know, the situation and in the country and then how the internet can be such a incredible place, but we behave pretty badly as human beings online a lot of times. Um, and then just trying to like, you know, the the final song on the record is called flesh and bone produced by Nolan the Ninja. And it's just like, life can feel so overwhelming, especially with the internet and especially, you know, with how much access to information that we have. Um, it's coming at you at light speed, and on top of just like normal shit. On top of just like how am I going to pay this bill, or you know, how am I going to fix this? You know, get a new t- get new tires on my car, or whatever. That like it can just drive you fucking nuts. I mean, I've had super bad problems with anxiety over the last year um, because of it, and just trying to remember that as you're going through things, you know, we all go through this shit, and at the end of the day, you'll look back on it and it will not what's driving you crazy today probably will not be a problem even six months from now, two months from now. Right. <laughs> you look back on it and you'll get through it. Like people make it, make it through. There are been months where, you know, you're trying to figure out how to, how to pay your rent and it's like killing you on the inside. And then two months later, you you know, you've got more money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just getting through and realizing that it won't mean as much as you thought it meant to today. A lot of, a lot of things will be more important.
0: You know, as you know, And this, you know, goes for both of us. We're, you know, a couple white dudes in hip hop and (laughs) we're, we we have access to a, you know, a lot, you know, we're around a lot of different of marginalized people, whether it's by Mm -hmm. race or gender or sexuality, you know, how do you, you know, as a person and even through your place in this culture, how are you an ally you know what do you feel like um you know being an ally is
1: I mean I think that I can throw out all the like the cliche ways of you know how to be an ally is uh, you know of, of letting you know marginalized voices be the you know the center don't center yourself as um you know a white person a white man a white straight male whatever um the thing to me that I think uh has helped a lot and i and if people would do this more often is you know, being an ally one is um, stepping aside when you know it's not your place to say some shit. You know, you might think you have you know, you have opinions on something, you see something, but you might not really have a say if you in certain cases, for instance, the abortion shit like this is a woman's issue. This is not a man's issue. I don't have a fucking say in the shit um, when you see, you know, it, it, being a part of the culture as a white person means of hip hop culture, especially you tend to be around a lot of African-American people and you can see that there are community, um, moments that happen as, you know, as black people in America, that they have discussions and it's wild to kind of sit there and and have, you know, that access to see, um, these internal discussions in the African-American community and to know that you're not gonna, should not ever inject yourself into that as a white person, (laughs) at least not in a, in any kind of authoritative way, <laughs> whatsoever, right. um, and I think that for me, it's shutting the fuck up, which I think is pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> offering, you know, trying to like uh, offer, if you have access to something that someone else might not, because of you know of of whatever privilege that you might have, whether it's you know heteronormative privilege or whatever, trying to help bring other people around, you know, involved that may not have that access that you have just based on those privileges. Um, And then the other thing is like, just remembering that if someone is talking in a, in a a negative way about white men to not just feel attacked because you're a white man, they might not, the shoe might not fit. You know what I mean? It might not be about you specifically, but as a generalization and a usually true generalization, you know, it's like, I, I, people can feel i think that i've seen that a lot online where you know you see that but not all men or not whatever but not all white people but of course that's a given it would, it's like you don't need to feel so personally attacked every single time right someone critiques white a white cop for doing that you know what i mean like the personal attack thing is just it's very easy to much easier to exist when you realize it's not probably not about you and if you think it's And if you feel personally attacked, though, it might actually be about you. So (laughs) maybe you should check your shit and look in the mirror.
0: When you were, you know, coming into the hip hop scene, what were some of the things that you learned, you know, as a white man that maybe you didn't know, maybe you didn't know how to act, you know, didn't realize you uh, should act in a different way? Was there anything that you learned during those early years or even up until now, because even for me, I'm still learning some stuff, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard. I've learned, like, it's kind of crazy. It's sort of a cop out answer, but, like, I literally have learned so, so much that it's hard to pinpoint, like, something specific. Um, I think pretty much everything that I just said is shit that I would not have ever learned had it not been for having a diverse group of of people around me. Um, And that, you know, I'm trying to think, like, it's not that I didn't know that this happened, but actually like, so when you, so like, as being a, a you know, for a lot of cases, when I was with, um, you know, working with the Black Pack, in many cases, I would be the only white person in the group. Um, not always, I mean, there are other members of the group that were white, but like going down to like South by Southwest, um, kind of truly seeing racism happen like 100% firsthand, where I wouldn't have noticed that before. Like there was a very couple, <laughs> that's the only, I mean, those are the times that I've seen it. Like we were driving down to South by Southwest uh, in Austin, Texas from Lansing, Michigan and getting pulled over. Um, it was me and the other three passengers in the, in the car were black. Um, I was a driver. I think I was doing five over, got pulled over. Uh, the cop was just asking wild ass questions about, where we were going, how we were getting there, like really trying to like over and over repeat these questions so that he'd like catch me slipping or something. So this is mind you again, for like five over the speed limit. Um, he asked me to get out of the car. He takes me to his car, sits me in the front seat with him. And he's asking me if I'm all right. Is everything okay? <laughs> wow. And I'm like, this is crazy shit. Like this is, and this is like Southern Indiana, I believe. Um, yeah you know, and he runs me through like asking me the same, and he's like to asking me each one who is each one of these people in the car and what their role are as a as a musician, what are they doing again? I was just like I was blown away at how different those interactions, and not that i didn't didn't believe you know black people when they said that they were treated differently, but how much different that police interaction was than anything I had ever encountered before um and I think that's part of. That's the only way – one of the only ways to really, you know, learn is to experience it and not to say I didn't ex- I didn't experience racism against myself. It was racism that – just a crazy version of it, you know, where he's checking it. Like I said, make sure if I'm okay, like I've been kidnapped or some crazy shit. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so those are experiences that you can only have with having, you know, being a, in a diverse group, you know, friend group.
0: Yeah, that's crazy, man. Like, yeah, you really can't – you, you know, you believe that it happens, you see it on TV, but then right. but when you actually experience experience it around you with your peoples, you're like, holy shit, that is that is fucked up. Yeah,
1: because that never would have happened like if I was going, you know, other trips that I've taken with, like road trips I've taken with, you know, my predominantly white group of friends um, from, you know, like Howell, like that would never happen. And it's not that I hadn't had run-ins with cops before, but they were just wild, it was just a wildly like different experience than I'd had before.
0: That's crazy. It's crazy, man. Yeah. When, um, you know, I always like to, you know, a- like ask this question when I'm doing these interviews is like, what, um, you know, what's sort of a nugget of knowledge that, you know, from your life and career that anybody listening to this, it doesn't matter what sort of Avenue of artistry that they're in that they could sort mm-hmm. of project into their own life.
1: One nugget of knowledge. I think, um, for me, I guess the only thing that I think that has made me be able to have success is, um, learning vulnerability and learning to be able to just like, as an artist, as a, you know, being able to like flatly say who you are and not be scared of like certain things that are very, um, painful to deal with i guess um that can be very difficult that can be something that not everyone maybe it's not even good for everybody but like i'm trying to think of if there's one thing that i think defines what has made my art any at any level successful it's a uh, vulnerability that i that i use in it that i'm not scared to just say the you know have these really kind of painful moments you put it in my writing whether it's painting or you know whatever you do if you're a comic book artist like you would you know talked to about earlier um i think trying to express that and be that and not be afraid that, uh, you know, in the most cases, the things that you've been through that are very painful, every, not everyone, but someone else has experienced it very similarly, or, you know, to the, you know, to the T and, um, that's a really important thing. And, uh, I think it's very, um, it is very powerful when you connect with people like that.
0: How do you, um, how did you, open yourself up to that vulnerability it can be kind of scary
1: yeah it was when I was uh like when I first started writing I did it I guess probably the scariest shit in the world was you know writing as a kid and um you know I made these little like recordings on a little four track tape recorder when I was in like little Tascam recorder when I was in a uh, high school and kind of showing showing friends like it was sort of hard for me to I was really scared to like tell people who I was and like you know, we'd moved, I, we had moved. My family didn't have a lot of money. We'd moved to Howell from Redford, Michigan, um, because my grandfather, my dad's dad, had basically kicked us out of the house because my dad wasn't able to pay rent, was having money problems. Kicked us out. We ended up moving to Howell. We live in this apartment, which is a fine apartment, but I felt like, I don't know, like I being like the, the poor kid kind of felt really shitty. So I didn't share a lot of parts of my life with people like that, you know, even in Howell. Um, for a lot of, like I would tell people I lived in a house behind the apartment complex and, you know, in Howell and that I didn't live at the apartments cause it was kind of like a low income, even if in Howell it was like a low income, uh, you know, apartment complex. Um, and I think that for me, that was very, really embarrassing, I guess. Um, and I don't know why to this day it was, but you're a kid, you don't, you know, things that you realize don't mean anything as you get older or maybe were important for, you know, developing your character. Um, or, you know, ended up being good in, in a sense. <laughs> um, you know, I think that that was using my writing, writing about these things and then showing friends and, you know, girls I had crushes on and shit, like, my, you know, my stuff. That really... And getting a positive response was... Um, even though it was terrible shit, so I just... I must have had really nice friends <laughs> telling me my shit was good. Um, or really bad friends, however you want to see it. Uh, but getting that positive response and and kind of validating that vulnerability, I think is really important. And you will, I think people will find that for the most part being vulnerable to people, to friends, to family, um, usually, uh, you know, maybe this is terrible advice, but I think usually is met with positivity and that can be really, really validating. Um, you know, obviously there are cases, you know, that I can think of that it probably wouldn't be, it could potentially not be, but, um, generally speaking, I think that, that vulnerability does get rewarded, at least, you know, with our generation and, you know, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm like running through and I'm thinking of like other moments where, you know, you see in like the black community where um, depression and things, you know, mental illness is kind of looked at as a, you know, bad thing. So maybe that's my own privilege talking as a white dude, but I'm allowed to be emotionally uh, available and vulnerable. Um, so I don't know. That's a good question, though.
0: Right. How do you feel like being a hip hop artist and maybe just even hip hop in general has been, you know, positively, you know, has had a positive effect on your life? I mean, it gave me
1: everything. Like it really, you know, it's totally defined who I am um, in ways that I don't even think I ever knew could happen. I mean, to be able to be doing this still at 31 years old um, and, just the worldview that the art itself is a, first as a fan, I mean, before being an artist, I mean, it like, it shaped me. It made me think differently. It made me, I think more of a, you know, an o- much more open-minded person. Um, you know, hearing, you know, poli- the, you know, politics and social shit and rap uh, especially was huge for me. I mean, it completely altered my, you know, it's a, or it not altered, I guess I wouldn't say, because I didn't really have, you know strong political opinions when i was young super young but it it formed the basis of you know my worldview i mean and how i felt like being you know empathetic towards people recognizing that like people go through shit you know and we all go through it so that's a huge part of like why i write the way i write because music helped me so much listening to stories that even though that you know they weren't like you couldn't relate with every detail but you know, hearing about, you know, pay, you know, the rappers that have, you know, parents with, you know, substance abuse issues. They might have been talking, you know, about crack or whatever. But I, you know, for me, my mom was an alcoholic and it was very difficult. So just having that relatability, um, you know, from a personal level, a social level, political level um, taught me everything, man. Cool.
0: Oh, excuse me. I always like to, you know, end my interviews with the same question. And yeah. if you don't and if you don't have a uh, answer, that's fine. And sure. the question is, who is somebody that you would recommend that for this podcast that I could realistically interview that would have some good stories or lessons to talk about?
1: I think um I don't know if you're in the into this kind of music, but uh one of my favorite bands of the last, you know, probably four or five years is, uh, they don't go by now, but they went by, uh, the name Andrew Jackson Jihad. Um, they're a folk, they're a folk punk band based out of Arizona. Um, and the lead singer is actually, I don't know if he still lives here, but he was living in Lansing, uh, for a while. I think his wife was, um, getting her doctorate or something at at MSU. Um, and the lead singer, I think I've, I've, uh, and I've met him in, in passing, but, um, really dope, super dope band, like a great songwriter, um, you know, really writes from a place of, of like emotional struggle, but finds a way to make it positive. It's something that I'm actually super jealous of in <laughs> the way that he writes, uh, to find those positive vibes and, and be able to use, you know, make it more of a, a gift instead of so being focused on the bad parts of it. Um, I think it, you could probably get in touch with him and, and I, you know, I don't know how much you know press they do and stuff but he's a really dope dude i bet would have some really really cool uh stories to tell and that's probably the most left
0: <laughs> left wing person i could come up with so awesome all right man it was good talking with you like always where yeah, can, sure. yeah definitely where can people uh go online to get more information about what you're up to and about the new album
1: uh, you can go Twitter at Chris O'Rourke Raps. Um, you know when I changed everything from Red Pill, it just ended up being pretty much the same, but with Chris Orric. So Chris O'Rourke Raps on Facebook, Chris O'Rourke Raps on uh, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you can check out Mellow Music Group is the label that I'm on. Um, that's Mellow without a W at the end. Um, they're all you know on all the on the social media platforms at MellowMusicGroup.com. I'm on Spotify, iTunes band camp, anything, is under Chris Oreck. So if you see the uh, the big guy, the big white guy with the shitty beard, probably holding a cat in a lot of my pictures, so you'll find
0: me. <laughs> I love those pictures with the cat. <laughs> Thanks. How's the cat doing?
1: Good, man. He's good. He's a, he's a jerk, but he's he's a good cat, I guess, for as far as cats go. All
0: right, so that was my interview with Chris Oreck. Go cop that new album, Out to Sea, right now. It's awesome. There will be links in the show notes for this episode at freshisthepodcast.com on where you can stream or purchase out to see and follow everything that Chris Orrick is doing. So, again, thank you for listening. Goodbye and good night. Fresh, 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 fresh is the world.